0: students here awesome and- how is everybody doing Pretty good. Right. that's good that's good that's all this is so cool man technology is crazy like- <laughs> <laughs> um
1: so for you all we have a guest speaker today uh this is amit he is a senior at the rutgers business school and also a founder of mbm global communications um, he's currently building this company, um, which is a global communications consulting firm that's mission is to rid the world's fear of public speaking. Um, so he'll give you a little more background about himself, uh, his company, um, and go ahead and present to you all about public speaking and how we can use it specifically with consulting.
0: All right. Awesome. Awesome. What's up, everybody? Can I just get a room of how many uh, freshmen are in the room right now? Freshmen's. Okay, cool. Sophomores, Junior, senior. The last one. Okay. Awesome. So, um, yeah, so my name is Amit, uh, and this presentation is essentially called finding your inner voice. And the goal of this presentation to be quite frank is not to teach you the technical elements of public speaking. Like how do you move your body? How do you do your hand movements your eye contact, your flexibility with your voice, all of that stuff. I think those nuances are important, but what we do at MBM communications, uh, and I'll get into what that is in a little bit is we really take a philosophical approach towards teaching public speaking and we tailor it towards the clients that we're speaking to. So today we're speaking to a bunch of consultants and we're gonna be talking about finding your inner voice through the beauty of public speaking versus some of the technical stuff, but we'll get into some of that in a bit. Um, So onto the next slide, just to give you guys a little context about me, don't wanna brag, Uh, I really don't like this slide, but I do need to establish some credibility so you guys know that uh, I know a little bit about what I'm talking about here. I've been publicly speaking since I was 13 years old uh, in the seventh grade. I did speech and debate in high school. Uh, I won a decent amount of awards, and I went around the entire world. I was on the USA debate team my senior year, so I was traveling from country to country doing international public speaking competitions. The biggest thing to take away from this slide is I think that these types of results and i don't know how much your president has talked to you about his results in speech and debate because he's done some pretty awesome stuff as well um but these results really come from someone who's found their inner voice they don't come from someone who's studied speech and debate and understands the techniques of it they really come from someone who's developed their own persona their own swagger and their own ability to have confidence when giving a presentation everything in my life um after i've psychoanalyzed the the 21 years that i've been alive is and has come down to a presentation has come down to me being able to get an audience's attention publicly speak and get a result out of that and uh some of these results that you guys see on the screen is really just a manifestation of me being able to find my inner voice so on to the next slide now consulting what is my relationship with consulting so first thing i wanted to say before i get into my relationship is as a consultant, you are literally going to be publicly speaking for like as long as you are a consultant. Uh, if you're a first entry analyst consultant at Deloitte or Accenture or whatever big four you're thinking of going into, you're gonna be giving presentations. A lot of times you're gonna be making the slide decks and you're gonna have to be in the managing director's room and you're gonna be talking about something. Essentially, consulting is going into a company, they're like, we have a problem, they're like, we need you to consult us, we're gonna give you a ton of money, you figure out a solution to that problem and even if the solution isn't that good, The way you present it needs to make us feel like it's really good because that's why we're paying you millions of dollars per month. And then we're going to adopt your solution. That's what consulting is. So I'm a senior right now in college. Um, I'm building a communications consulting firm, which Ryan said has a mission to rid the world's fear of public speaking. When I was a sophomore, I wasn't really motivated by this big goal of like ridding the world's fear of public speaking. Like, what does that even mean? I was motivated by everything that you guys are motivated Buy probably right now which is like some cold hard cash right we all want some money um so when i was a sophomore i was like you know what i'm on social media i'm on facebook instagram twitter all the time these companies that are on my block hansel and griddle is a local restaurant uh in new brunswick new jersey that was doing about two three million dollars in top line revenue like these guys were crushing it they've been here for a decade everyone eats there when the kids are drunk like like people love going to hansel and griddle so I was like, you know what, why can't I start a marketing firm that is consulting companies that are in, new, in my, like three minutes, five minutes away from my apartment in New Brunswick and do their social media for them. Now I had no idea how social media analytics work, how influencer marketing worked, how to like actually create marketing campaigns that gave an ROI for a company. Like, Social media marketing is hard in today's day and age, and that's why companies are paying millions of dollars to outside third-party consulting firms just for the strategy. Forget the implementation of the consulting idea. But as a naive sophomore, I was like, you know what? I could do this. Like, I could post a couple pictures on Instagram. Like, this is, this is easy money. Like, there's no reason I shouldn't be able to do this. So why is this relevant to you today? Why why does this matter? Um, I walked into that restaurant, and I was like, I want to talk to the CEO. And they're like, all right buddy like like do you want a burger or something like what, what do you what do you what do you want right now I was like no I want to talk to the CEO and the CEO walks from the office and he was like are you that kid who sent me an email about like doing social media marketing and I was like yep I am that kid and he was like come to my back office so we go into his back office I'm in his back office and now we're talking about marketing and I do what all consultants should do right I was like tell me your problems tell me your concerns I was like a therapist at the moment right I was like just just tell me all the issues that you have going on and he starts telling me all these concerns about how they're trying to get more like likes on Facebook and followers on Instagram and all this stuff because they're trying to real really build brand identity right they're already doing revenue they don't need to convert for sales they just want more brand equity in the Hansel and griddle brand in those 20 minutes I convinced this CEO of a company that's doing $3 million. I don't know how many of you have done that, but that's some hard stuff to do to give me all of his social media passwords, to give me full access to him at any point that I needed him, to have weekly meetings with me on Friday. I convinced him to give out $500 worth of gift cards based on a Twitter campaign on hashtags that I was gonna run. And if someone used the correct hashtag, he would have to give out those gift cards. I convinced him to do a myriad of things. I convinced him to essentially hire me as his social media consultant, not getting paid because I was just trying to get my foot in the door, trying to get experience within those 20 minutes. I failed, Uh, did a horrible job at it, did not do a good job. The cool thing about being a sophomore and a freshman for the people in the room and even a junior is you're going to have these like ideas as you're young and you're gonna like try to pursue them. They're completely gonna fail, like they're not gonna succeed at all but you're gonna feel as if in the moment they have a chance of succeeding. So you're gonna put all your effort in trying to make it happen and then you might get some cool results but eventually it's gonna fail but it's still gonna be a really fun process. Ultimately, I failed, but as I look back on that, and as we think about what is consulting, I start to become super introspective, and I start to be like, wow, as a sophomore, as a 19 year old kid, in September of 2017, I walked into a restaurant, I said, let me talk to the CEO, I got into the back room of a CEO's office, which is like a hard thing to do, especially when a CEO is busy being a CEO, had him sit down with me for 20, 30 minutes, and convinced him to let me consult him on his company. The only reason that that happened was because of communication skills, was because of the ability for me to, to be there, be authentic, be persuasive, and convince him, tell a story, do whatever I needed to do to get his attention in some way that would let him, in literally minutes, decide that a 19-year-old kid at, at the campus in which his restaurant is located on is going to handle his entire $3 million company's marketing. It was a really interesting thing. So. Why was that able to happen? And I can go through a bunch of more examples. What does that really mean in the context of me? I think what it means is I had my inner voice and I was on the journey of developing my inner voice. I think a lot of people can speak, a lot of people can talk. The people that get stuff done, the people that get experiences that didn't get paid off of it, but so unbelievably valuable for my confidence at that moment. I mean, I walked out of that restaurant feeling like I was high on life, that I just was able to pull that off. I think that really comes from finding your inner voice. So. If we go to the next slide today's presentation is going to be about the philosophical orientation that we have towards public speaking. I think most of the fears of public speaking and when I mean fear, I mean in two ways I work with clients that literally stand up and they, they start crying like, 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 like a tragedy happened in their life because they can't speak and they see the people looking at them and they literally like they, they don't know how to breathe. And it's a really, really bad thing. And I've also seen people who can get up and they can speak but whatever's coming out of their mouth isn't worth listening to because the fear of public speaking isn't just literally afraid to speak. It's not knowing what to say because you're not confident enough in what to say because you don't have the courage to say what you want to say because you have this external arbitrary fear that is delegitimizing and over determining your capacity to actually say something meaningful. So in the three years of of me really building this company, I've, I've realized that the fear of public speaking, the ability for people to find their inner voice, it all, has to deal with mindset and philosophy and very little of it is technical. Like you see TEDx speakers give amazing speeches, a lot of that stuff is technically coached, the way they move, the way they influx their voice, all that stuff. But the ability to get on a TED stage, that that is a prerequisite in my opinion and that deals with philosophy. So the three parts to dealing with understanding public speaking from a philosophical perspective is one, understanding your mindset. Today we're gonna get all into what a mindset for, for effective communication strategy is. Then you get into your inner voice. This is the introspective journey that's taken me, you know, four or five years to be able to really feel confident with. And I don't expect in a 30 minute presentation for this to happen, but I think today's presentation should give you the framework to facilitate the thought process of beginning to find your inner voice. And then comes fulfillment. And we'll talk about fulfillment in a little bit, but fulfillment is really just like the happiness and joy in life. Um, And that transitions into the next slide, which is what MBM stands for. MBM stands for motivated, by mortality now every time i tell this to people and they're just like they're like this is a morbid ass name that you picked for 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 a company and i'm like yeah it is kind of morbid but um just to give you a little backstory, when i was 20 years old so two years ago um i realized that i was gonna die and what i mean by that is it became very conscious to me as i was going into my junior year of college that i'm mortal that that, that, the we don't have forever that you don't have forever i don't have forever no matter where we come from no matter how different you or me or or we are from geographical locations, whatever it may be, the thing that connects us is that we're gonna die. We have a very limited time. If the earth is 13.8 billion years, we have like a measly 70 or 80 if we're lucky to really spend time to be fulfilled. Half of that is spent sleeping, half of that is spent working. You get like five years where you actually get to live some parts of your life. So this concept, this idea is when I stop thinking about money, it's when I stop thinking about like doing Random things to, to try to like like see if I can make money and, and start these like stupid businesses Cause I not only the marketer firm I started a lot of stupid businesses because I was motivated by money once I had this recognition That mortality the fact that you're gonna die should influence the essence of what you do when you exist It changed my entire perspective on life. And this is not original by the way I mean philosophers have said this for thousands of years that like death controls the ability for us to think of life The thing about today's day and age in social media is we have so much distraction, so much content, Netflix, Disney plus like, like YouTube, everything is distracting us from the inevitable fact that we are going to die. In fact, the job that you choose to do for the rest of your life is going to distract you from the inevitable fact that you're going to die. So understanding this framework of like, okay, so mortality is the only thing that I think should be motivating me. It allowed me to create a framework for what that means in the context of my passion and my passion is public speaking. So at 20 years old, I was able to be really introspective and figure out, okay, I've been doing public speaking for 10 years. I don't know why I tried to start businesses that weren't in my passion because this is what I really wanna do. So I said, screw everything else. I'm gonna go all in on this. I genuinely love it. And I can't stop thinking about the fact that I'm gonna die. Like it got to the point where I would wake up in the morning and brush my teeth, look in the mirror and be like, shit, like I'm getting closer to death. Like it's it's coming up. Like it, it was weird. Like it was this weird feeling of like, why do I keep thinking about this? Even today, like it's not, it's not leaving my brain. So I was like, either I can think of this pessimistically or optimistically. And the pessimism stuff doesn't make any sense because I'm going to die anyway. So like, it, it really doesn't matter if, if I, if I spend this time being pessimistic, so I might as well be optimistic. So that leads us into the framework of what it means to be motivated by mortality. There's two layers to it. One communication, that's what we're going to talk about today and purpose. We're not going to focus too much on purpose today, but we'll get into it a little bit at the end. Communication, The fundamental thesis argument that I wanna make here is that there are experiences and moments that happen in your life. Those experiences and moments are only valuable, are only beautiful, are only meaningful, in my opinion, if you have the ability to communicate them. Now, that doesn't mean that those experiences didn't happen if you didn't talk about them, if you didn't express them, but think about social media, right? The reason Facebook, Instagram, everything is so big, the reason we have to, take likes off Instagram because people are like killing themselves now, is because we are so attached as social creatures to share moments of our life, to communicate them in some way, maybe not through public speaking, but maybe through posting pictures. So for me, if you had a beautiful relationship at 17 years old and now you're 25, that relationship, now that we're moving into the future every day, we don't really know if it happened. Right? It's kind of like if a tree fell in the forest and no one heard it, did it really happen? I mean, we might have Facebook pictures that that relationship happened. But at the end of the day, if we take it really deep, only your memories prove that that relationship was real between you and the person and whoever observed the relationship. So the only thing that can bring that relationship back to life, that can make it meaningful, is your ability to talk about it and communicate it in a way that is effective. And what I mean by effective is when you're sitting with your friends around the campfire, Right? And when you're talking about that girlfriend that you have when you were 17 or boyfriend or whatever, or when you're an adult and you have kids now and your kids ask you, dad, when, when, did, when did you have your first significant other? And you talk about that relationship that happened 20 years ago. I mean, these are the true moments of life that are meaningful and we'll get into like what, what this means out in, in a professional world in terms of the consulting world, but your ability to communicate them gives the, 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 the things that happen in your life authenticity and purpose. So this breaks down to what do I say? which is where you have to look within yourself, right? This is where you're finding your inner voice. And then how do I say it? The how part you'll always figure out, I think if you develop your inner voice and you can be coached on that, but that'll, that'll take time for you to just figure out what is your way of speaking. But the what part is the really important part because the what part is the part that like inspires you to actually take, to, take, to take meaningful risks and say stuff. And then the purpose stuff is what will I do and why will I do it? This is stuff I just want people to think about in the context of being motivated by mortality. Um, You guys all are probably here. You might not all end up being consultants. I was uh, on my consulting uh, clubs e-board in my sophomore year um, and I left to just create my own consulting firms because I had had to do a lot of stuff. But you have to really ask yourself, what will I do in my life right now? Maybe it's consulting and why will I do it? And if the answer is you want to be a consultant at Deloitte and you really want to do this, the fundamental question now becomes if you found a purpose, what is the level of communication strategy that you're going to invest into in order for that purpose to actually be meaningful? so that you're not just the consultant who's consulting for the hell of it, but there is a level of purpose grounded in your consultation. I mean, the ones, the consultants I know that started year one as an associate or as an analyst, and by year four are managing directors are the same consultants who, during their weekly presentations during year one, when they were 22 and and they got into the big firm that they wanted, blew the socks off the managing directors that they were presenting to because They had a level of inner voice that allowed them to give the effective presentation. The PowerPoint play a role? Yes, the slide deck was presented nicely. Did they project their voice to the entire audience? Yes, everyone in the back of the room could hear them. But at a fundamental level, there was something, something that we can't even explain that stuck between the process of communication between the speaker, the consultant, and the people in that room that are controlling the consultant's destiny to move higher in the industry. Those are the ones that are gonna thrive in this industry. um, And that's why I think it's very important to find your inner voice in order to be able to thrive. So at leads to the next slide, which is before you become a consultant, you need to consult yourself. There are so many people I go to college with who, have, who are going to Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan and Deloitte and all this stuff. And when I ask them and when I talk to them, I'm like, so, so why are you doing this, right? Like, what's the purpose of this? It, it, they have no... Fundamental way to communicate this other than stability money or so that I can go to work five days in the week And then from Friday to Sunday, I can get drunk and do it over again And I have the money to get drunk because I'm in a nice consulting firm and that is a really stupid reason for me to become a consultant because You are someone going into a company offering strategic valuable business advice and you're consulting other people before you've even consulted yourself So what I mean by consulting yourself is really being introspective enough to have the audacity and the, to, and, the, and the necessity to ask yourself why you're doing what you're doing. And if you've come to that answer, then asking yourself, how do I communicate why I'm doing what I'm doing? I think my friends who are going to Goldman Sachs right now in the next five years are gonna be fundamentally unhappy because I'm building a company with the mission to rid the world's fear of public speaking. That doesn't mean I'm better than any of my friends, but that does mean I've articulated a level of purpose that I think is meaningful. And I think people doing consulting a lot of times, they don't find that level of purpose because they don't understand it. And for all the young people, freshmen and sophomores in the room, I would highly recommend trying to develop that purpose, trying to develop that sense of meaning. You only do that when you find your inner voice. So that leads into the three aspects of what it takes to find your inner voice. This is the first aspect, and this is called taking risks. Uh, Now, in the middle, you will see a a one-year-old omit Uh, Who just dropped a bunch of cookies and I was trying to clean it up before my mom caught me So I had the uh, dustpan and broom when we lived in the apartments and my mom saw it and she took a picture of me Now the reason I love this picture like the reason I think this picture embodies the essence of who I am is because I have a lot of hair and now I also have a lot of hair. So that's pretty cool But the real reason is mainly because I at, at One year old at one years old I was willing to take the risk to get these goddamn cookies that are on top of the counter and be like, I'm gonna eat this cookie and no one's gonna stop me. And obviously as one year old, I couldn't control the cookies. It fell all over the floor. And I had the audacity to be like, I'm gonna get the broom or the the, the, the the whatever you call it, the dustpan and broom, and I'm gonna clean it up before anyone finds out. That was the level of thinking that I was on at one years old. And now that I'm 22 years old, it really comes full circle because what I realized was, I was into taking risks and I was into taking risks at such an extreme level and in every stage of my life I've continued to take risks right now I'm taking a risk because I'm trying to be an entrepreneur basically I'm unemployed, right? And I'm trying to like build this big-ass company and that's a really cool risk but as I was a young child giving presentations all throughout seventh grade and eighth grade and ninth grade and then twelfth grade and then college I've consistently taken risks during my presentations and my public speaking skills. When I was a debater, the reason I was the third speaker in Croatia in 2015 was because I remember I, I took a risk with, with, my, with my speaking in a lot of my speeches. I was talking about random stuff that I was trying to connect with in terms of the audience because the audience there, it was an international tournament, they didn't really speak English, so I was like trying to adjust and take all these weird analogies and make them, make them real to this non-traditional audience. I've just always been taking risks. The framer for taking risks and how it relates to consulting and public speaking. It's very simple. If you don't take a risk, you're gonna have a regret. Now, a regret doesn't mean that you hate your life, a regret doesn't mean that your life is meaningless, but it does mean that when you're going to die, right, because we're talking about mortality, there are gonna be some things that stick out to you that are going to make you fundamentally scared uh, and fun, not scared, but really sad that you didn't take those risks during your life. I mean, no one at the end of it is like, I played it really safe and it was awesome. It's like, no, it's like you, you're you mad or you're sad you didn't ask that girl out or you didn't do what you really wanted to do. You didn't start that company. This is not saying everyone has to be an entrepreneur or anything. This is just saying that risks are really, really important to take, especially in the context of public speaking and presentation. Public speaking and presentation and presentation skills necessitates that you you're not boring right like I like I I'm in college right now I'm a senior and I sit through my business policy and strategy classes which I'm gonna get to in a little second a little story from there and I see these presentations in class and it's like I just want to cry like I remember one time I fell asleep like this and then I woke up and I was like a class was over and it it is the, the presentations are so boring the people have no thought and, 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 and necessity to be like, wow, I have an audience here. I should probably entertain that audience. I should inform that audience. I should make the moment of that presentation meaningful. They just want to get through the presentation. And the problem here is you might end up with a B plus an A, right? You might get the grade you want, but the problem is you don't have the level of impact that is going to professionally develop you as a human being. and when i was in seventh grade i remember giving presentations and i i really remember putting a lot of work into the powerpoint and 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 the the style of delivery and i would practice it at home before i went into class the next day and i remember my teachers were really blown away at a young age because they didn't expect like a good presentation because for some reason i valued the ability to take risks i valued the audience that i had so the framework for taking risks is that you're going to have regrets if you don't give really if you don't try different things in your public speaking and presentations And those regrets will stop you from finding your inner voice. And that's all that we're trying to do here. So if we go to the next slide, this is sort of my idea for how do we take risks when presenting. Um, So let me start off with a a quick little story. I'm in my business policy and strategy class. Professor is really dope guy. We have to analyze my group. We have to pretend we're consultants uh, for a company. And this company is Johnson & Johnson. Raise your hand if you know Johnson & Johnson. Raise your hand if you know uh, some of the uh, court suits that Johnson and Johnson has been involved in. Uh, you all the way in the back with the glasses. Can you tell me what they what they're dealing with? They're,
1: uh, in their baby powder, wasn't there like a, one of them was uh, car- carcinogenic?
0: Yeah, they had a they had a ton of asbestos in their baby powder. And what's there's a second one that happened in August that cost them about five hundred million. Does anyone know about that one?
1: Well,
0: opioids. Op- opioids. Yeah, like they, they had to pay a lot of money because of. Problems with opioids. So we had to consult Johnson & Johnson, right? We were consulting their medical devices technology sector. The, the professor was like, just give a good presentation and give like a 20 page report on how you would effectively help them in this problem. So for me, I'm like, okay, day one of presentations were trash. Everything was boring and I hated it. We're going on day two. We are not going to be trash and boring. We're going to have a fun presentation. So I'm with my three group members. It's, uh, it's, it's three other people. And in the group meet, right before before the presentation, obviously we're working on it the, the night before it's due because like who works on it the week before it's due? That's, that's not what people do. Um, I'm just like, guys, we need to be funny. We can't be boring. I think the professor's gonna like it. Here's my idea. And then I type out my idea. And then this one girl, she's just like, yeah, I, mean, I don't know if this is the best idea. She was trying to be real respectful, right? Because this is not the group where one person slacks off and everyone does everything. This is a group where we're actually mutually like doing all the work. It was actually an amazing group dynamic that we had. But this was the time it got dicey because it was the first time. Usually we all agreeable, right? This is the first time in the group meet I sent some controversial message and she was like, yeah, we're not doing this. Like, I think this is too risky. I think it was supposed to be a professional presentation. We're consulting for Johnson & Johnson. Johnson & Johnson's headquarters are actually in our city. So like, it's actually like a big thing that we wanted to give a good presentation to them. Um, and I was like, look, I appreciate your opinion, Danielle, but I don't care about it because we need to have a good presentation and we're not going to be boring. And after a bunch of jabs, jabs, back and forth, I was like, look, what's the worst that can happen? We maybe takes off a couple points off my grade. Maybe your guys' grade because because he didn't like the introduction that I thought of that I thought would be funny and I thought would get people engaged. But the reward, if we get the audience hooked within the first 20 seconds because of what I'm going to say, which I typed out in the group meet that they didn't think was funny, but I thought it was really funny we are going to get the audience hooked for when we talk about the boring stuff. Because the goal of taking risks specifically, and this is where I get a little bit technical about public speaking, in the beginning of your presentation is you want to try to hook the audience in a way that gets them through the boringness of the rest of the presentation. Ideally, your presentation is not boring at all, right? And you can sustain a level of attention and intimacy throughout the entire presentation. I mean, even today, I know some of you are not gonna pay attention to everything I say, but my goal is to get you guys hooked and attentive to it. So I was like, Every presentation is some boring consulting recommendation with all these graphs and charts. We need to capture them, get them excited, and then we can walk them through that stuff and slowly by slowly lose them. But we're not going to lose them from the beginning. Like, we have to take a risk. So they were like, all right, we're going to do it. They were like, Amit, you're going to do it. You're going to stay in the corner. We three are going to stay in here and you're the clicker. You take the risk. So if everyone laughs or everyone doesn't laugh, you're going to one that's going to deal with it. I was like, all right, bet. So Johnson & Johnson, um, $572 572 million dollar lawsuit all this stuff right they're paying a bunch of money. So I was like here's the line here's how we're going to introduce it. I'm going to be like does anyone in the class know the American rapper Biggie? And then I'm going to be like does anyone know what Biggie said when you get mo money? And they're supposed to respond mo- does anyone know? Oh. Mo oh. problems, right? So I was going so the, the, the little transition this is all I wanted to say was Johnson and Johnson has made mo money but they're dealing with more problems and we're here to help them today. And that's it, that's all I wanted to say. I thought it would be super funny and they were like, no, you can't do that. I was like, no, I'm gonna say that. And then we had to execute it, right? So I'm on the stage, we're we're in the presentation and the the risky thing is if no one knows about Biggie or no one knows the second line to that lyric, then I'm I'm pretty screwed, right? Cause like that that's what makes it work. So that's the cost benefit analysis in relation to the risks. That's the first part. There's a cost to doing this, which is that no one knows anything. And then I have to say the line, which doesn't give us the impact that we want it to do. Especially cause if no one knows the lyric, then me saying the line doesn't really matter cause it's not relatable to the audience. And we need to have audience analysis and audience connectivity, which is another sort of technical element of public speaking but the benefit is that we get everyone interested. The second part is you have to be confident when you're taking the risks for public speaking or presenting when you're talking to a clients that you're consulting for, for Emory, you have to be confident in the fact that you have analyzed the costs and the benefits in association in relation to this risk and you're willing to take the, the benefit over the cost and you're willing to deal with the downfall of the cost. The third part is you value the reaction way more than the potential flop. So for you guys, it, I mean, this is, uh, the potential flop could be worth upwards of millions of dollars at a real consulting company, right? So this is a real risk you have to be associated with. But in senior year of college, I was like, what's the flop? Like, what, he's going to give me like a B plus? Like, I, like, I don't care. Like, like what's going to actually happen? So... I said it, I said the line. I was like, does anyone know when you get mo money? And someone in the room said, "Mo problems. And then I said the line, the whole audience started laughing. Everyone was interested, this cute girl in the black, she was smiling and looking at me. I was like, yeah, I know you like that. And it was just a really, really, really funny thing. And the professor, this 50 year old white guy who's bald is laughing and he wrote on the final comments, he was like, that was an awesome introduction to the Biggie line, really enjoyed your presentation. I think we got like a 95 on the presentation. I say that to say that the, 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 the reason I created MBM Communications is because that feeling of the benefit of the risk is what provides me my happiness in life. And I've gotten that feeling many, many times in classroom presentations, in international debate tournaments, in, in, um, in conversations interpersonally that I have with people that I really care about that benefit is a high that, I, that, that no drug could ever replace. And I wanna keep that benefit and, and, and the risk associated with the benefit because that's, that's what gives the benefit the high is the fact that it could be a cost for the rest of my life. And that's what I'm trying to do with MBM communication. So finding your inner voice is really trying to figure out what is your level of risk? And uh, what is your level of, how, how risky are you? What is your level of risk calculation in relation to public speaking and presentations? And in terms of consulting, you just have to figure out what you want to do when you're consulting and how many risks you really want to take. So that goes on into the next slide, uh, which is the second pillar of being motivated by mortality as a framework to get over the fear of public speaking, which is not caring what other people think. I mean, this guy right here who's, who's struggling on the screen, he cares a lot about what other people think, which is why he's struggling at the podium. The number one reason for why I've dealt uh, when I've consulted with clients and, and tried to help them with their communication strategy is that they care a lot about what other people think. I mean, they overcare about the people in the audience, the people watching them, the people who are judging them, the people who are giving them the grade, whatever it may be, there is this like fundamental evaluation of, of, of what they think and their opinions and that overdetermines their ability to actually act. The, the, the key thing about public speaking and presenting is you have to let go of that belief in order to give effective presentations. Now, some people let go of that belief and they get on stage and they give a presentation. But the presentation still sucks and it's still trash because they still care about what other people think. So they got over the first level, which is like getting on the stage. They're not afraid of like people looking at them in the audience, but they weren't able to get over the second level, which is actually developing their inner voice by really not caring about what other people think. And what I mean not caring about what other people think, and I'll get into this a little bit more, is that it doesn't mean you don't take their criticism seriously. It doesn't mean you don't listen to them, It doesn't, especially if they're your boss and they're paying you, right? Like, it doesn't mean you don't value their opinion. It just means that you have a fundamental belief in your opinion and your mindset, which can be altered by other people's, but it's not determined. It's not contingent upon other people. And so many TEDx speeches that go horribly wrong is because they see the audience and they're thinking of, they have this unique and creative idea, right? The goal of TED is like original idea, spread an original message. Some people have a beautiful original message influenced by a life experience, but when they get on the stage, it's hard for them to communicate it because they're so worried about what other people think about their original experience. The beautiful thing about original experiences is that it is original, which means if you care about what other people who have not had that original experience think about what your experience is, it's going to delegitimize your ability to believe. Like, and not not just believe, but truly believe in the authenticity of what you're trying to do. So if you go on to the next slide, um, how do we not care about what other people think? One, I think the first step is recognizing no one cares that much about you. Uh, this is something that we have to understand for life and public speaking. It's that, like, if you give a 30-minute presentation and you bombed it and it sucked, it's like, Okay, people went home. Maybe they didn't get their money's worth, but they move on with their life, you move on with it. Like no one cares that much about with you. And this goes back to being motivated by mortality. Like you, you, are, you, are, you are born alone and you're gonna die alone. It doesn't matter if you were married, it doesn't, like, it, none, it, you're, you're dying alone. At the end of the day, it's you and your tombstone. And at that moment, once you start to really understand that from a philosophical level, finding your inner voice becomes sort of necessary because it's like, are you gonna go your entire life thinking about what other people think about you till the day that you die when ultimately you die with yourself or are you gonna allow yourself to be open and have your own freedom of opinion? Um, The second thing is you don't have time because opinions cannot over determine actions, right? So like literally, every second of this presentation, you all have gotten closer to to, to your inevitable death and so have I which means we don't really have that much time for other people's opinions to over-determine our actions. In the context of the consulting industry, I mean, this is really important, right? If you and your team have like developed a strategy that you're going to present to a client, like your client has paid you to come up with a strategy and a solution. That doesn't mean your client is entitled to accept that solution, but they've reached out to XYZ consultant because they value ABC strategy. So if you're not if you don't have the conviction of your beliefs to like develop this strategy and then present it in a way that doesn't value the company's uh, opinion in general of what your strategy may be, then it's not going to work, right? You're never going to get the actual ROI that you want. I mean, think of social media, social media marketing companies that were started around 2010, 2011, they had to go and pitch major corporate clients to put millions of dollars into Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and they, the ones who won are the ones who didn't care what those company executives were like, yeah, but we want to pay for TV. They would get up in that presentation. They would be like, TV is screwed. Netflix is going to kill them. No one's watching commercials anymore. Everyone goes on their phone. When the commercial comes on, put your money here. And the companies that won were the ones who were influenced and persuaded by that presentation and took the risk and took the gamble. If those consultants had overvalued the opinion of those corporate clients in that day and age, we would not have what we have in today's day and age. We would not have the world that we have. I mean, it, it, it's, it's just a level of not caring about what other people think. And it's, it's the level of, 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 of telling stories that are effective because you don't care that much about what other people think. Think about why Disney Plus has 10 million subscribers in a day. It's because for the past, past hundred years, they've done creative storytelling without caring about what other people are gonna think. They were just gonna tell their stories from their most authentic level. They weren't gonna value everyone else's opinion. And that led them to becoming the, beh- the behemoth that they are today. And then finally you take their feedback seriously, but you make the final decision, right? So it's like, yes, we understand your thoughts, your criticism, we're willing to change, but we are gonna present you with a solution as consultants and either you're gonna take it or you're not, but we're not gonna doubt our ability if, if we believe that we're some goddamn good consultants to think of a good strategy uh, for your company. This leads into the final pack, which is the, the, la- uh, the second to last line, which is having an impact on people. So taking risks, not caring about what other people think, and having an impact on people. These are the three pillars to being motivated by mortality and using those three pillars to develop a philosophical framework to allow you to find your inner voice, which I think will help you in your journey to become public speaking. If you're not having an impact on people, life is just kind of boring, right? I think as freshmen, as sophomores, and I was in the same position where we're thinking of like, what can I do for myself? How can I like get myself to get on? And that's important and you have to be selfless or selfish to be selfless in the future because you have to be good before you try to help the world. But whatever you're trying to do has to be about service or else you're gonna end up like this guy in this picture who's walking a very lonely road. And I think everyone should walk this lonely road. They should become introspective. They should try to figure out who they are, become self-aware. But at the end of the day, if that self-awareness leads to the fact that you want to buy a Lamborghini because you think like that's the level of awareness that you're at, I, I think that's not a good path to happiness or finding your inner voice. Life is about service. You need to inject the necessity to serve and deliver value to your audience in your public speaking and presentation skills. So going back to the, the, the biggie uh, line that I did, I just had this overemphasis to give the audience value. I, for, for no reason of my own, right? Like we were going to get a B or an A regardless of if I did that, there was no, pro- the professor was not going to give us a C for having an amazing presentation, but there was something in me that was like, we need to make this presentation valuable. We need to make the audience care. Now, maybe that's selfish because I wanted the reward of being like, I was the one who thought of this amazing hook and I like, I got the reaction and then maybe I wanted the external reaction to validate me. Maybe that's true. But on a secondary level, I think what is really true is I just have, and I have had throughout the entirety of my life, whether it's in interpersonal conversations, whether if that's, I go to India every five years and I'm the life of every conversation with all my family members, it's always to overvalue, to give something back to the people you're communicating to, whether it's around the campfire or whether it's, it's in a multi-million-dollar deal that you're trying to get at a consulting company, it's the necessity to give value. And once you understand that the necessity to give value over determines your ability to give a good presentation the presentation is going to end up good because you're gonna think about the pictures that you put in your PowerPoint you're gonna think about the text and the font that you make in in your slides you're gonna think about the authenticity for which you deliver you're gonna think about the word choice that you use you're gonna over analyze the way you present and you're gonna use that over with a fundamental emphasis on other people on the audience and you're always gonna over deliver at that point because Once you care about the audience, even if your presentation is not amazing, and you guys have to go through a lot of sucky ones before you get to good ones, um, audience analysis and audience over delivering is always what's gonna matter. Which leads into sort of the final slide, which is your audience is everything. This is kind of what I just want everyone to leave with. Um, When you're on your journey to become a better public speaker, when you're on your journey to find your inner voice, when you're on your journey to uh, be someone who is authentically communicating to the world. And when I mean authentic communication, I don't mean like, this this BS sort of idea of like, I'm gonna be truthful, but like truly you feel it in the guts of your soul that what I'm speaking right now, I, I'm not trying to sell anybody anything. Like I'm not trying to sell you guys on being good at public speaking. I'm speaking from my experience that public speaking has led me to find happiness. And I think all that we're trying to do in this world is Communicate our perspectives that hopefully help other people in some manifestation in whatever category it may be for me It's about how can I be happy and and I've been motivated by mortality And I've used the medium of public speaking with an emphasis on my audience to become Happy in life and all I want to do at MBM communications is not make money because if I was wanted to make money I would go work at Goldman Sachs I'm gonna be unemployed for the next couple years trying to rid the world's fear of public speaking Whatever that may be because I just have this necessity to give back to the audience Um, so if you understand that your audience is everything, if you take risks, if you don't care about what other people think, and if you have an impact on people while not caring about what they think, then I think you will become phenomenal and hopefully go on an amazing journey. One of the best journeys of your life to, uh, to find your inner voice. So on the last slide, I really value and appreciate your time. And I'm open for any questions. Thank you guys. Does
1: anyone have any questions for a bit? Uh, anything covered? Maybe tips for consulting specifically, or maybe just like your own personal journey. Thanks. So, question about um, your company, MBM yeah, Communications. So, you're consulting like individuals on public speaking. How does that? What is your like business structure like I mean,
0: now? <clears throat> yeah, good question. Um, so for the past year or past two years, I started this in uh, December. No, yeah. Well, December twenty seventeen. Yeah. For the past two years, we've been doing mainly individuals. Um, I got one corporate client last summer, so that's been pretty good. Essentially, when it's with individuals, um, we create a curriculum that is tailored towards the individual, and we kind of try to assess their needs. Are they just trying to get better at public speaking? Do they have a presentation coming up that they need to get really good at? Do they have a debate tournament that they're going to, or a national competition, scholastically, that they want reoccurring every single month, constant training, constant lessons, stuff like that. So we kind of evaluate, what are they looking for out of the service? Uh, and then we create a structure and a payment plan to, for, to actually be able to provide the service. For corporations, it's more so working with their executive management team, their executive leadership team, um, and their employees at their basic, not C-suite managers, but just regular employee level individuals. There's actually a big industry for communication skills. Um, the, the, the sort of logic behind it, and I didn't even know this, that's why I'm being very honest about you, is because when I had the idea of like, I love public speaking, Maybe I can start a company around it. My whole thought process for a good year was like, there's no money in this, like, like people aren't gonna pay you just to teach them how to better publicly speak, right? That's not a real thing. Started doing a lot of research and basically for, for corporations, I mean, their main end goal is that if our employees can't communicate, that's why if you go type in Deloitte first level entry analyst right now on Google, the first thing you'll see behind qualifications before the old technical qualifications is excellent communication skills. A lot of companies have lost a lot of money, whether it's in the boardroom or just because of HR problems from employees that can't communicate. And then you got to fire the employee and then you got to give them a severance package and it just becomes a mess. So companies over the past about 20, 30 years have recognized that if we put a value on communication and we can find some type of metric to monetarily price that value, we can probably get an ROI. And that's sort of the industry that I'm in right now. All
1: right. Um, could you give more tips about how to more effectively get over the spotlight effect? Um, like like everyone's uh, constantly just critiquing or just has their full attention on you during presentations.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So your, your question is when I'm on stage and everyone's critiquing me and just giving a bunch of feedback that's negative, how do I get over that to get to, bu- to, get to be better, correct? Yeah. Yeah, essentially. So I was rushing a professional business fraternity my junior year. And all we did literally for eight weeks was give professional presentations. They would throw a case study at us on Monday at 3 p.m. And at 9 p.m. we would have our meetings and they'd be like, you guys have six hours, come up with a dope presentation. And if you don't deliver it, like someone's getting dropped tonight. Like they would do some wild stuff, right? So I've been in intense situations where I've been under pressure and I have to give good presentations. My number one thing is like, so two things. One, you have to take their criticism seriously, and but with a grain of salt. Meaning if they're over-criticizing you on like, hey, I didn't like how you moved your body right here and then and there. You're like, all right, Dick, thanks for the opinion. But like, can we actually tell me about what I actually, like the stuff I said? You take that stuff with a grain of salt. The stuff that actually matters when you're taking feedback is like, what did I say and what value did that have on you as the audience? So if your audience is gracious enough to actually give you feedback on what you said and how it impacted them, that's the stuff you really, really, really got to care about. All the other technical stuff, you have to like take that and like, yes, I'll rework on that, I'll figure that out, I'll stand in the mirror, I'll figure out how to speak, but the content stuff is really, really what matters. So if I'm getting feedback on how my content wasn't authentic, it wasn't affecting people, it didn't really do a good analysis of this company, the chart was maybe not presented in the right way, I would take that super, super seriously and then do the presentation over and over again. The second thing is I think, and this is something really tangible, you have to record yourself. Like you have to record yourself when you're giving a presentation. When I was a senior, and Ryan can probably relate to this a little bit, um, I did a lot of debating in high school. So every other weekend I was at a different state, sometimes a different country, debating the top debaters in the country and we would get a resolution, you would have to be affirmative and negative, you would have to pick both sides and you would have to debate it all out. Every single round my senior year, I would put my little phone in the corner and I would record everything that I did for those 45 minutes. As soon as the round was over, I would pop in my headphones and I would listen to myself speaking. Now some, some of you may think that, wow, this guy's super cocky. He just loves how he talks. And I kind of, I kind of, that's kind of there. But more so it's like I wanted to hear how I sounded outside of me speaking. And in and, and, and debate, your currency, your money, your commodity was the judge's ballot because that ballot allowed you to further continue in the tournament. If you didn't get enough ballots, you would be out of the tournament and then you wasted money traveling across the country because you, you didn't do well at the tournament. So for me, it was like this overemphasis on I need to hear how the judge thinks about how I sound. And really subconsciously and subliminally that helped me find my inner voice. Because after listening to myself, I would be like, oh, I didn't like how I sounded here. Or, ooh, that was really awkward. When I listen to this presentation again, there's gonna be a bunch of times where I probably said something that I sounded super awkward. Maybe not to you, but definitely to me. Because I like to analyze how I speak, how I communicate. And if I can find little bits of those moments, positive and negative, I can ultimately combine them in future presentations to not be as bad anymore. Right. So I would say, take the value of their feedback seriously when it comes to content delivery. Uh, and then secondly, record yourself as much as you can.
1: Thanks. I have a question about, so I guess we're all working on our final presentations. Um, and like in the next like three weeks, we're going to be like presenting it both to our club, our clients, and we're even gonna have like a public event. We invite people to see the presentations that we make if there's anything that we can work on, maybe, you know, focus on the next three weeks on to make sure that when we do present to our clients and when we communicate our recommendations, we do it in the most effective way possible. Uh, is there anything in particular you think that, you know, we can hone on in the next few weeks to make sure that we communicate our recommendations?
0: Yeah, definitely. That's a, that's a great question. So the first thing I would say is uh, do the, get the presentation done as soon as possible. So if you have three weeks, I would say within the next week, get the final draft of it ready. Like the PowerPoint, everything finalized. Now maybe that's impossible, but try, try to do that. That will allow the next two weeks before that final uh, week of uh, presenting to the client for you to rehearse it and do it over as as much as you can. Now you may think this is a basic tip, like obviously rehearse it, do it. Yeah, we know we gotta practice, but you'd be amazed at how many people don't practice their presentations. And one of the tips of getting over the fear of public speaking is knowing what you're doing when you get on stage. A lot of people are so afraid when they try to give a public speech, if try to give a public speech or presentation because the content is not native to them, meaning it's not absorbed in the very depths of their soul. Like this presentation that I gave today, I've, I've talked about it in my own head for the past two years and that's why I was able to execute it today without that many hiccups. And like, if you are able to do that over the next three weeks, I think that will lead to the client being valued, being, being very impressed by the ability for you to just articulate yourself without having to do too many hook hick- hiccups um, The second thing is have an actual emphasis on the dynamics of the presentation, right? So if there's four people like and two people are here two people are here What does that mean for the relationship between those four people when you introduce your names? Or it's gonna be is, is the first person gonna be speaking from here then the second person is here or is it gonna go first second third, fourth, like a nice orderly line. How are the dynamics of the slides gonna be presenting in relationship to the person that's speaking? The very awkward moments can be avoided when someone's finishing up a second slide and the third slide is about to change and the third person's about to talk because they're so eager to talk, but the second person, they, they went off script a little bit and they're trying to articulate something else, that gets, Overtalked by the third person who's like, oh, it's my slide I have to talk those little dynamics that are weird and they don't make or break a presentation But they definitely don't make it as phenomenal as it could be those can be churned out a lot uh, When you go through the little intricacies and dynamics of the presentation which goes back to recording it I think if you really record it you can find itty-bitty moments that, that that are not that awkward the third thing to me i'm not going to give a content tip because i'm assuming you know ryan's teaching you guys well you guys are doing some some pretty good consulting you you know the problem that you're trying to solve you know the solution you're developing the third thing is particularly in the context of um your body movement and your dynamic that can make the presentation better so what i mean by that as one example is inflection inflection is when you over so if i say i had a really fun time at the beach or I really had a fun time at the beach. That emphasis on the word really hypercharges the value of going to the beach because it shows you that I really had a fun time. You need to have each speaker, let's say there's four in presentation, each speaker I would say needs to have at least two or three of those moments where they need to sort of like give give the right hook, right, where they actually are over emphasizing something that is valuable in their specific part even if it's just the introduction right even if it's just the hook or the conclusion that adds the presentation to get more value the one thing about public speaking and presentations is it's just that moment it's just those 10 minutes you have to present it doesn't live forever it's not like you're releasing an album and that music can be listened for the next 10 20 years like it's just that moment the presenters and the audience and you have a very short amount of time to make a meaningful, authentic relationship in those 10 minutes. But if you're able to do that because of things like over inflecting on certain words and key phrases because you rehearsed the presentation, that client can become a million dollar client, right? That relationship can become super positive. I mean, I had, the, the way I landed my first corporate client was I, I missed their email first. Like I was, I was a dumbass. They, they emailed me and I just, I just missed it. It went to spam or something. So the guy finally called me I hopped on the phone. He was like, yeah, we like, we're interested in something you're doing. Would you interested in us being a client? Blah, 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 blah. And we went over to his house. I went over to his house and in those 20 minutes, I had to make my impression, right? Like I had to close this deal. I had been working with individuals for two years. I wanted to get a corporate client and I got it done. And it was really simply because in those 20 minutes in those one, in those itty bitty moments, there was analysis and emphasis on certain key points of value that we could bring to that person because I had constantly been rehearsing it, which landed up to be an XYZ thousand dollar client. Um, so those are the three things that I would really focus on. Awesome, thanks. Cool. I just one. Um, yeah. We
1: about how point of this is to help
0: your
1: inner self? and Seth, we about the you know, stories might be important, but
0: what's also- can you speak up a little bit because I can't hear you at all? So
1: also like what's important is the support, but also how you're able to articulate it. And so my question is, do you find more value or you know, should our goal be to increase the variety of experience that we have so that we're able to more the audience? Or to really critical, critically think about those experiences so that we can make them more? so is it the quantity of experience or the quality that
0: you find is more? Important? Is it quantity of what or quality of what that defines it?
1: Experiences
0: or stories? Got you. So quantity of experiences or stories you bring up in the presentation versus quality, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Really good question. Um. So let's let's look at my presentation today. I gave you guys. It's actually an interesting question because I was designing the PowerPoint last night and I thought each. So I had three pillars, right? So I was like, for each pillar, I'm gonna tell a story. And then it was like 1 a.m. last night, and I was like, yeah, there's no way I'm gonna be able to make a story for each pillar. So like, it's it's not gonna work, right? So for the taking risks, I talked about the J and J story. And then the introduction, the Hansel and Griddle, that was a story in and of itself. So I had two stories. My goal was like three or four because I wanted the presentation to weave in with personal experiences, but I ended up giving two. Personally, I, I, I I think it's subjective. I think it comes down probably if I had to pick to quality because the qualitative value of an experience that is articulated in context of what you're presenting meaning You're not just throwing out a random story to throw out a story because a bunch of coaches told you to tell stories but the story has value and significance in relation to what you're presenting then one one and a half two may be enough right based upon the nature of your presentation the hansel and griddle thing if we're just going to psychoanalyze my own presentation which i'm totally fine with i thought that was meaningful because I, i was trying to be a consultant so i thought okay this is how i got into the consulting game I explained the entire framework of what I was trying to do. I was trying to be humorous in the beginning, right? Like just walked into the door and like demanded the CEO. So try tried to get you guys interested. And then second, and then to wrap it up, I concluded the only reason I had the confidence to go be a consultant at 19 years old was because of communication. So that was a hook story that began the framework to discuss why communication is so important, particularly to consultants, right? Because I'm, again, I'm trying to give you guys value. You guys are Emery's. Consulting club fun fact I actually won top speaker at Emory's tournament in 2016 So I have a special place in my heart for Emory Um, But I wanted to give you guys value so I had to contextualize it to consulting the second story about the J&J thing I thought that was relevant as well, right? Because that was literally a consulting presentation that we did for a company which you guys are very familiar with and There was a hook that I thought would be contextual and funny that actually worked and to wrap it up It made sense with the first pillar which was taking a risk and the whole cost benefit analysis to that risk I thought was articulated pretty well in the personal experience I had. The other two, uh, not caring about what people think and having an impact on people, there's no stories associated with that. Um, but I don't think there needed to be. I think if I did, I would have to stay up till three, 4 a.m. last night to really make sure the stories are contextual because I could have thrown a BS story out there. I was thinking about it the entire day because I was literally thinking, wow, I have two slides with no stories. And it's so funny that you asked that question about stories, but I chose not to at the end because I didn't want to throw a story that wasn't meaningful and relevant. So. Definitely quality, um, but take it with a grain of salt because you have to make sure that that story really is contextual and that experience is contextual to the overall message uh, of your presentation. Mm -hmm. Cool, awesome, thank you guys. I really appreciate it. (laughs) This was really helpful, so I'll follow up
1: with you. Um, But yeah, thanks again for being able to do this session with
0: us. Absolutely, man. Thank you guys for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. So um, if if you guys could do me a huge favor, I know I hate to sell. I have a YouTube page with 57 subscribers. If you guys could subscribe to me on YouTube, that would be amazing. You don't have to. We do a public speaker podcast every week. I interview public speakers in the industry. If you're genuinely interested in getting a little bit better at presentation skills or public speaking or like the mindset of public speaking, I talk to a lot of dope people on that podcast. It's called Amit Kukraja Public Speaking. Just type in that. Uh, and check out some, don't even subscribe, watch some of the content. And then if you find value, then subscribe. But, um, yeah, that's my final sell. And thank you, Ryan, for, for hooking this up. I really appreciate it, man. Of
1: course. All right. Have a great night. All right. Good night. Good night.